0: When I was on the phone with my oncologist that night, she said, okay, so, you know, I spoke to Dr. Spiro, and we know you're going to have a mastectomy. And I was like, whoa, 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 wait, 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 what? I said that, but I'm an actress. I'm a drama. You know, of course we say shit all the time, but I don't know that I meant it. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> Give me a minute. But, of course, I had to. There is no other option. And I remember, you know, talking to a couple of people, their response, oh, my God, cut them off. Yes, you don't take take. Them. It's so easy to say But when you're in the position, it's like, let that sink in for a minute. Not only am I cutting off a part of my body, a really important part for me.
1: According to breastcancer.org, about one in eight US women will develop invasive breast cancer over the course of their lifetime. By the end of 2021, an estimated 281,550 new cases of invasive breast cancer are expected to be diagnosed in women in the U.S., along with 49,290 new cases of non-invasive breast cancer. About 2,650 new cases of breast cancer are expected to be diagnosed in men in 2021. A man's lifetime risk of breast cancer is about 1 in 833. About 43,600 women in the U.S. are expected to die in 2021 from breast cancer. For women in the U.S., breast cancer death rates are higher than those of any other cancer besides lung cancer. As of January 2021, there are more than 3.8 million women with a history of breast cancer in the U.S. This includes women currently being treated and those who have already finished treatment. You can find endless statistics online that all paint the same picture cancer sucks. Today we're going to meet Lainey and hear about her own unique journey about how a cosmetic procedure revealed a deeper issue and how she turned a double mastectomy into an award-winning film. All of this and so much more. Let's hear Lainey's story. I'm Frank Verderosa, and these are the Everyday Odysseys.
0: The way my story unfolds is is really kind of... Interesting. And I think a lot about this because it's not for, it wasn't foresight. I, I, I don't know what it was. I, I don't even know how to explain this, but I'll just start here. When I was 12, um, my grandmother, my father's mother, had breast cancer and she had a single mastectomy. And they butchered you back then. I mean, there was no reconstruction. You know, she wore the prosthetic bra and all that. She died when I was 14, so she'd been cancer-free for, I guess, those five years, and then five years later, she was riddled with more cancer, and then she died. And I kind of took after her, I think, in a lot of ways. I think coloring-wise, you know, um, she's very fair-skinned, blonde, uh, light-eyes, and I always thought like I was sort of her mini-me. So to me, at that young age, I thought, oh, well, of course I'll get breast cancer when I'm older because I take after nanny. So nanny had breast cancer. I'm going to have breast cancer. And then as I got older and I got smarter, (laughs) um, I said, well, that's not really how it works. I mean, it kind of is. It can be. But it doesn't necessarily mean that that's exactly what's going to happen. Right. And then my mom had breast cancer when I guess it was like 20 years ago and she had a lumpectomy. We didn't do mastectomy or anything. And I think she had radiation at the time. And then 15 years later, she got it again in the other breast. And she had a lumpectomy and they did like radiation or they did chemo and some other hardcore medicine. And I don't know why at the time they didn't say mastectomy because what it's left me with is that it comes back. It always comes back. So at that point, we knew that my sister and I knew that we were a high risk by virtue of the fact that my mom had breast cancer twice. Uh, We've been tested for all the genetic markers and we don't have any of them. But we always had that dense tissue and we've gone for lookbacks, a couple of biopsies here and there, aspirations here and there, you know. And it's annoying and it's stressful. And I I always try to make light of it because I always thought I would just skate by it, to be honest. You really do. There really is that feeling when, especially, you know, we always accuse young, really young people of having it, that you just think you're immortal. You think nothing's ever going to happen to you. And you do. You sort of think, well, yeah, it happens to everybody else. It's not going to happen to me. In 2016, I was having lunch with a friend. An actress friend of mine, actually. Mm-hmm. And we don't normally get together. So it's kind of a random thing. And I didn't know this about her, but she told me that she had the BRCA gene from her dad's side and that she had already had one single mastectomy. Mm-hmm. And she's had some other cancer issues and she's constantly being watched. And, you know, she's like one of these really great personalities and spirits. She's always happy. She sees the positive. So she was telling me all this. And I thought, oh, wow, that's pretty unbelievable, you know. And I said, well, tell me who was your surgeon, because I um, grew up always pretty well endowed. <laughs> <laughs> and after a couple of kids and whatever, a little weight gain, I thought, you know, I need a breast reduction. <laughs> so I had been thinking about that for several years, and I'd always been looking at surgeons. And I thought, well, if, you know, she liked her surgeon, let me check him out and see. So right. she told me who her surgeon was out here, and... Um, I went onto his website, and I was really blown away. I, I mean, the before and after pictures of the women who he rebuilt from mastectomies was astonishing. So I made an appointment with him, and I said, I'd like to talk about having a breast reduction and all. So I did. And in 2016, in the summer, I had a fabulous reduction at Lyft, and I looked amazing. And when I went back for one of my first follow-ups with him... He said, Laney, we got your tissues back from pathology, which when they take tissue off, they send it up. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that. (laughs) And he said, You have something called atypical lobular hyperplasia. And they refer to it as atypia. And I was like, Okay. I what I was barely paying attention, to be honest. Yeah. And he said, I'd like you to go see the surgical oncologist that I work with. They all sort of work together. So I went an appointment. I went to see her. And she's like, yeah, it puts you at a, definitely at an increased risk. So like if you're at a 12% risk, maybe this doubles it. She said, so what I'd like to do is I'm gonna send you to the medical oncologist. I'd like to start you on medication, preventative medication. And let's just see if we'll push it away.
1: Laney talks a bit about the drug. It's called tamoxifen. I guess it's one of those things you hope you never have to hear about. According to BreastCancer.org, it's the oldest and most prescribed selective estrogen receptor modulator. It's used by both women and men diagnosed with early-stage breast cancer after surgery or chemotherapy and radiation to reduce the risk of cancer coming back. It's also used to reduce breast cancer risk in women who haven't been diagnosed but are at higher-than-average risk, like Laney.
0: It was about a year later that I went for my... Mammogram, my routine mammogram, and they said we're seeing something. We're we're seeing a little something on each side, and we want to just do some biopsies and check. Now, ten months prior to that, I had a perfectly clean MRI, so whatever happened happened in that ten months. It's crazy. So I go in for the uh, mammogram, and it, it's a it's a weird thing that happens. You know, you're sitting there. And they said, well, you know, we, we need another picture. And then, okay, okay, we're still, yep, we need another picture. Uh, well, then we need one one more picture. You know, we want to have the radiologist come in and do an ultrasound. So come in, we're going to ultrasound. Uh, we need another one. You know what, the radiologist is going to come in now. So after all like two hours of being there, and each time it got worse and worse and worse, the radiologist said, I'm seeing something on each side, and we're going to do biopsies. I said, okay, great. So Tony and I drove to the hospital, whatever the next appointment was. And I remember saying, as we were about to turn into the parking lot, I said, if this is how it's going to be, fuck it, take them. Like, I am not interested in living this kind of life where I have to constantly be cut into. And it wasn't my first biopsy. I had one once before, and I had it in an MRI machine, which is so uncomfortable. And he was like, okay, you know. So I go in, and the... Radiologist was great. Um, So she comes in, you you, they actually make an incision. They cut you, and then they stick a, like a, looks like a gun with a long tube at the end, and they, like, clip a piece of tissue out from where they want to get. And it's uncomfortable. And I'm a very, I want to know, tell me all the information right now. I'm not going to freak out. I just need to know. I need all my information, and then I can process it and move on. And I was about to say to her, so what do you think? What do you see in here? And I said, oh, she's never going to tell you anything. Don't even bother. And out of the blue, she said, I'm really worried about what I'm seeing on the right side. She goes, I'm not so sure about the left side. And my eyes kind of bugged open and I went, oh. I said, okay. So you think it's cancer? And she said, I do. And my brain just went like, crazy quick because I thought there's no way in hell she would ever say that to me and risk her license, liability, all of the things you're not supposed to do if she didn't know 100% that this was cancer because she's experienced and she knows what she's looking at. And I said, okay. And she said, I just don't want you to be surprised in a week when the results come in. The results were coming in on a Thursday, and I remember that because I was teaching acting classes, and I had two classes back-to-back. And it was 15 minutes before my class was supposed to start. And I was waiting for the call. I knew they were going to call. And at a quarter to six, the call came in. And it was from the PA at my oncologist's office. And she said, they came back. It's in both breasts. You have cancer in both breasts. And I said, "Um, I need to talk to the doctor. And she said, the doctor's going to call you when you're done teaching tonight. And I said, "Okay." uh hung up the phone and i had my students came in and i had the next 3 hours of teaching class i think about that periodically and i'm pretty good at separating stuff i don't freak out about things like this but i really had to like push it away and my first class was young kids and i really had to work hard with the young kids you know you have to keep them engaged and everything And it was really, really a challenge trying to pay attention and anticipating the phone call I was going to have with my doctor and that conversation. And I had made it pretty clear early on that if this was the case, I was going to have a mastectomy. My oncologist called me, and she was great. She said, "Okay," She said, your team is in place. And I said, I have a team. And she said it was her. Um, my plastic surgeon, who, is, who would do my surgery, of course, and she called him and she said, I've called Dr. Spiro. She said, he sounded like Eeyore when I called him because he had just done all this surgery. And you know, nobody wants to find out that your patient has cancer now. And she said, we've got the other oncologists, like everybody was in place. And I said, well, I'm going to Ireland in two days for spring break. I said, my family's going to Ireland. Like, she goes, go, have a wonderful time. We'll deal with this when you get back. And I remember pulling into the driveway and um, I didn't want to ask this, site, but I had to ask it because it's just who I am. And I said, am I going to make it? Am I going to be okay? And she said, Lainey, you are not going to die from this. And that was, (sighs) that was huge.
1: Lainey and her family took that trip to Ireland, but she found it challenging. Even though she was surrounded by family and friends, she didn't quite feel she could talk about what she was dealing with. She kept it bottled up, which is really not in her nature. She asked her husband to keep checking in with her for reassurance. When she returned, she followed up with her doctors and found even more comfort.
0: I went for my first visit And, um, the thing that was really amazing for me, uh, when I went back to my surgeon is I thought I was really afraid that I was going to walk, he was going to walk in the office and be like, Oh, Laney, I'm so sorry. I was afraid of that. He walked in and he was like, Laney, Hey, all right, we're going to go over all the different procedures. We're going to talk about what's best for you, what's going to give you the best aesthetic and what the recovery and all this. And then we're going to pick what's right for you. It was amazing because it set the tone for the whole process. And it gave me a light at the end of the tunnel. And he's so gifted. And I trusted him implicitly. I almost felt bad. Like I had done something like going and like, I had to apologize. Like, I'm so sorry that I'm back here for this. Like, how do we ruin this beautiful work that you just did, you know? And then it's the whole idea of what I'm doing, you know? Like when I was on the phone with my oncologist that night and she said, okay, so, you know, I spoke to Dr. Spiro and we know you're going to have a mastectomy. And I was like, whoa, 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 wait, 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 what? <laughs> you know, like, well, yeah, I said that, but I don't know that I'm, you know, I'm an actress, I'm a drama, you know, of course we say shit all the time, but I don't know that I meant it. Well, wait a minute, <laughs> give me a minute. But... Of course I had to. There is no other option. And I remember, you know, talking to a couple of people. I knew a friend or whatever. And their their response, oh, my God, cut them off. Yes, you don't take, take them. It's so easy to say. But when you're in the position, it's like, let that sink in for a minute. I'm cutting off. Not only am I cutting off a part of my body, a really important part for me of my body. I've always been very identified and just my sexuality is a huge part of who I am and me not being able to walk in the room, you know, sticking my chest out, especially my beautiful new chest, you know, that's devastating. And you're t- it's just, you're literally cutting your breasts off. And when, when you sit there and I sometimes force myself to think about that because it's so easy to say, and I did it and there are repercussions you know there are feelings after that my body is different there is no question because I had already had surgery that influenced what procedure I was able to have. There are; It's not just one mastectomy procedure. There are different things you can do. The good news was I didn't have enough fat in my stomach to do the procedure where they take the fat from your stomach and make it into breasts. So. I, would,
1: I would have donated. I've got plenty. I could, have, I could have helped you out there.
0: That would have been nice. Thank you. I appreciate that. I was kind of bummed about that though, because while I always had a fairly good stomach, I, you know, a little tummy tuck never hurt anyone. But I ended up doing a procedure that's called latissimus flap reconstruction. And that is where they cut, they fillet your latissimus muscle in your back. You know where your lap muscles go on either side of your spine. So they take that muscle, they take like 95% of it, I think, and they flip it around and then they tunnel it through your side and then they reattach it to your chest wall. So it becomes kind of like a bra. So there's back surgery first, and then they reattach the muscle in the front, and then they put an implant in. And the nice thing about that procedure is it's all your own muscle. I mean, there's an implant in there, but in front of it all is all um, my own muscle and tissue. Right. So in terms of aesthetics and in terms of the feel, they feel like real natural breasts. It's really pretty spectacular. So that was a procedure I had to do. So that's like an, I think it was like an eight hour procedure. They do the mastectomy first. She, right. she takes off all the, so I, my oncologist was there and the plastic surgeon at the same time. Mm-hmm. So the oncologist goes in and she takes all the breast tissue out and then they flip you over and then they cut up your back. And then they flip you over again.
1: It sounds like a nightmare. It's a nightmare.
0: <laughs> it's a, the good news is I'm under anesthesia. Right. <laughs> anesthesia is your friend, my <laughs> friend. So I wake up the next morning with breasts. No nipples or anything, but right. I actually leave the hospital with my breasts. It's amazing. Which is pretty amazing. And that's one of the advantages of this procedure too. Because in the other, pro- there's another procedure where you have to do um, expanders. Yeah. And that's really painful also. And it doesn't have the same kind of, I think, fleshy feel. Hmm. Um, But you also don't have back surgery. And that was the one I would have preferred to have done. But just based on my situation, um, I couldn't.
1: Laney goes on to talk about her hospital time post-surgery. She wasn't in a good place. Sleeping was a challenge, as can be the case in hospitals. But she kept a good attitude. She says she smiled and laughed all the way through because she felt she needed to do it for everybody else. She didn't want people to worry about her because she felt that if other people worried about her, she'd worry about herself. But she had a lot of support, both from her family, friends, and her community.
0: There's some pretty unbelievable things that happen for you. When you're in crisis, like people really come together and I've done it for, I've been part of those food trains and meal trains for other people. I never imagined I would be the recipient, but sure enough, my friends put together. So we, I gained 20 pounds in my recovery of, it was maybe two or three months because everybody was cooking for us. Yeah.
1: Trays of lasagna. Yeah, Yep. mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) And it was really kind of fun too, because then you get to see how other people eat. And people brought over, like one woman just came. I had, a, I had a, an open door policy. If my front door was open, come on in. You know, it meant I was just hanging around and didn't mind the company.
1: During that time, she would have an additional eight procedures in seven months. Six of those were breast-related. In her words, it was rough.
0: The thing that was, I guess, when people ask me what was the hardest part of all of this, and I, I block it out a lot, but it's really important, I think, to remember it, because I feel like these are things you just have to remember. It's it's part of me, you know, and I don't want to forget it. It's It puts things in perspective for me, and it, it like, it smacks me in the back of the head, you know? Yeah. It was very uncomfortable coming home. Like, I didn't just have surgery and then come home, and I was fine. Right. I couldn't – I didn't sleep in a bed for – I don't know how long it was, uh, probably a couple months. I was in one of those Ikea chairs. They should market it as like post-surgical. <laughs> it was one of those sort of uh, chairs that was semi-reclined and then had a footstool, right? you know, and it was in my bedroom and I was surrounded by just fluffy pillows everywhere because I couldn't, I had incisions, huge incisions in my back and in my front and then I had eight drains Coming out of me. I had f- two in ev- at every surgical site. So I had in two two sets in the front, and then two sets in the back. And you have to wear like a. You can get like an apron. It looks like sort of like a, a schmata apron, or like a a, a waiter's belt. Right. You know, uh, apron where you've put the the their drains. Yeah. And they look like little. <laughs> it looks like a sperm. <laughs> It's like a little ball attached to this long wire, and it hangs from you. And it drains all the fluid out. And wow. that fluid has to get measured, and uh, you have to write the – I think you sort of write the quality of it, you know. Hmm. Um, so Tony did all that. He's a caregiver, so he was really – this. He, he was in his element. He was amazing it's painful. And I still have scars. I call them my vampire bites because mm-hmm. they look like too little. And I actually keep thinking, I was talking to my daughter about maybe she get that tattooed with like blood drops, you know, like that might look cool. Like <laughs> Why not? Like a vampire bit me there. Um, but those were awful. And it's, if I meet people that are going through this surgery and I have, I tell them, you know, this is something you, you know, this Just be, I want you to be aware of that this is what's going to happen and this is what you can do, you know? Um, So I slept in this chair for months until I was able to actually lie down. And the recovery's rough. You know, he rebuilt everything, you know, uh, he rebuilt nipples and areolas from other parts of my body. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. He took skin from my lower abdomen, like where your appendix would be. Mm -hmm. He took like a disc and he made that. That's amazing. Area. Yeah, it's pretty amazing.
1: Cuz I know I've heard stories of there's the there's a famous tattoo artist in the city that everybody goes to and he makes a pretty convincing
0: Yeah, they do 3D nipple tattooing, which he did on me, but I actually have an areola, I have a nipple. Right. Um and then he tattooed over that because the they're just flesh color. Uh, it fades a little. One one side faded a little bit, but they look really good. I mean, that's, you know, that That's in the end, that's the whole idea, right? Is yeah. to leave you feeling like your body is back to normal again. And I mean, you some would argue it is and some would argue it isn't.
1: Growing up in the 70s and 80s, I can only really remember one or two stories of people I knew affected by breast cancer. Maybe it wasn't talked about as much or maybe it wasn't diagnosed as often. But it seems these days, I can quickly rattle off at least 10 people I know that have been affected by breast cancer in recent years. Googling the topic will call up endless pages about risk factors, genetics, environment, age. And maybe it's because there's so much more emphasis placed on screening and early detection. Lainey and I chatted about this for a bit.
0: I think for my mom, I think my mom's was environmental. She worked in Nassau County out on Long Island. I absolutely think that that was part of it for her because it didn't exist in her family. I mean, there were other cancers in her family. For me, I don't know. I mean, years of being on the birth control pill, like who knows? Nobody really knows. Nobody knows. My predisposition to it anyway, being that it was in the family, I I don't have any of the genetic markers. I've been tested for, I think, 43. Now, interestingly enough, atypia, which is what I had, is not a genetic marker now. But it might be, my oncologist said. She goes, who knows? In three years, that could be one of the genetic markers.
1: Right, interesting.
0: But for the 43 that I was tested for, I have nothing. My mom has nothing. So it was just, I don't know. My, you know I don't know if it's a fluke or what. But um, you know, every now and then, it's, I, I say, I never forget that I had the surgery because my body is different and it feels different. That's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just what it is. It's a new normal. And it was getting accustomed to a new normal. And I think the hardest part now, because I feel great. I look good. Clothes fit me amazing. I don't, I mean, I'm not even wearing a bra, you know, like, (laughs) it's like I can wear, I don't worry about it, you know. Right. Um, I know that that part of me looks good, but it doesn't feel the same. I mean, it's different you know, it's, I don't have the same sensation that Mm -hmm. I did before. And I, I think back often about, I think it was, I guess the night before my surgery, I was lying in bed and I laid back. And, you know, when you have natural breasts, you're, they do a certain thing, (laughs) you know, the way they flatten out Mm -hmm. and how they feel. And I remember feeling myself and, just my own flesh and what the breast tissue feels like and just knowing that okay this is going to be the last time i'm going to feel this and i miss that i really miss that i miss that feeling of who i was and how that felt
1: it's hard to imagine having to prepare yourself for something like this the fear of what's to come the literal losing of a part of you And then there's the emotional aspect of having to talk to your family about it.
0: You know, I had to tell my kids, like, that's a whole other, um, that's a whole other thing, you know, telling my kids that I have cancer. Uh, Remy was 15 and Deegan was 10. And Remy, uh, Remy's always been really, Remy's 18 now. So she's always been super mature for her age. And really, she's very much like me. She's me, but better. And so we have a very open relationship. We talk about everything. So I told her in the very beginning that, you know, mommy has often has to go back for double checks because grandma had breast cancer. And, you know, we always have to be careful. And you will probably also have to. I taught her how to do self-exams very young. Right. You know, so she's she's up to date with all that. So I was pretty upfront with her, and I said, you know, I have to get checked, and I have to have this biopsy done. And she's and when I told her, she said, "Are you going to have a mast uh, something?" She didn't know how to say it. Right. I said, "A mastectomy." I said, "Yeah." How do you know that? She goes, "Oh, because one of the characters on the show that I'm watching, the mother had it or something." So oh, she, wow. I know, so she knew, and she didn't freak out or lose it. She was really good. And then I sat. I had to tell my son, um, and he is definitely not as uh communicative as Remy is. He holds stuff in more.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so I was sitting on the floor in my bedroom and I, I feel a little bad because I didn't wait for Tony to come home to do it with him. I just felt I had to talk to my kids. Yeah. You know, I did it alone. And I I had Remy there and I sat with Deegan. I said, listen, I, I had something I need to tell you. I said, um, everything's fine. Mommy's fine, but I do have breast cancer. And he Oh, I could just see him now. It was awful. He just like curled up. He just like curled up in this little ball, and just like like covered him. Like it he was like a snail. You know, he just tried to like like bury himself in himself. And I, and he just like lost it. And I, I just threw myself over him. And hugged him and said, I am fine. I promise you, I am fine. I am fine. And it, it was awful. It was awful. Because you know, you know that they're old enough to understand what this is. And, you know, they're scared. And I'm scared. Like the idea of not being there, you know, or that he would have to be live the rest of his life without me. I mean, and I'm sure that was in a, in a primitive way, what was going on for him, you know, in a less mature way of what he was thinking too, for what, what limited information he had. But I think once I, they came to visit me in the hospital, I think once they saw me and saw that I was okay, you know, and I tried to be okay. I mean, we don't hide stuff in our house. If my husband and I are going to fight, we fight. Yeah. You know, I want my kids to grow up and know that this is the real world and it's okay that your parents fight. It doesn't mean they don't love each other. It just means that people fight, people, you know, argue. People love each other. We hold hands, we kiss, we hug, we fight. It's how it is. So I didn't want to hide too, too much from them because this was our reality. Um but they were troopers. Though I had a a friend who lived across the street who took my son to school every day. I had other friends who, you know, drove my daughter home from school one day. Had people cooking for us. Like everybody chipped in. Everybody was helping, and I was just up in my room for the first few days, pretty well drugged. <laughs> yeah. And uh, one of my best friends had come over, um, and she just brought her laptop and she worked out of my house just to be there with me and. I'll never forget this and I, I cry every time I say it. And, and it's one of the things that I think, I've always loved her. We've always been, we've been friends since college, but this was, this was it. She bathed me, she sat me on the bed. Uh, Tony was at work and she, you know, you have that smell all over you, that hospital and yeah. all the antiseptic and iodine, or whatever. And she stripped me down and she got a washcloth and she very lovingly and very gently just washed me down and she always has really long nails. And then she just, I just sat there on the bed and she just took her nails and just like very lightly scratched my back around the incisions, you know, like where she could. Yeah. And it was one of the most intimate and loving things. I'll, and I will never, ever forget it. And that's when you know, you know, who your friends are, like people who can see you at your worst and, and bathe you. And and I wouldn't think twice about doing that you know, for her or for a friend. But when somebody does it for you, because you never expect to be the one needing it, you yeah. never want to be the one needing it. It was uh, it was amazing.
1: Having had her team in place for the surgery and then having the support of her community, Laney had a chance to pay it forward by having her doctor's office connect her with others about to go through the same thing.
0: One of the things that he does that, that was pretty amazing for me he will connect you to somebody who's had the same procedure that you're having Mm -hmm. so that you have an opportunity to talk to somebody else about their experience with him and with the office and with the surgery and the whole bit. Yeah. So he connected me to a woman and she was nice. Um, She really wasn't like, you know, very effusive. She was just kind of like, okay, what questions do you have? And um, she answered my questions and uh, she was honest about everything. And she said, you know, she did a lot of yoga before and uh, and continues to do, do you know, yoga now and things are pretty much back to normal. So I, and that was great. And then they called me. So I did, I started doing a lot of yoga- Oh, cool. Before my surgery. And then I had my surgery and I remember, it was very early on. I was sitting on the porch in my chair uh, feeling really bad because I was really regretting my decision to do this procedure. Um, I was second guessing everything. I was really depressed and feeling really bad. And it just so happens that one of the people from my surgeon's office called and said, hey, Lainey, we have a patient who's going in for the same procedure. Would you talk to her? And I said, oh, God. I said, no, I can't. I said, I am in not a good place right now. And I, I have nothing good to offer anybody. And I I I'm regretting this, and I'm second guessing it, and I'm not in a position. And she understood, and she's like, "Don't worry about it. You take care of yourself. It's fine." And then a couple of months after that, they called me again, and they said, "We have a patient who's going to go through this procedure, and you know, would you be willing to talk to her?" And I said, "Absolutely, I was ready." That's great. I was ready, and um, I called her up, and um, I just remember talking to her, and she was. I don't want to say she was falling apart because that's not fair to say. You're not falling apart. You're reacting emotionally to uh, and and appropriately to what's about to happen. And she hadn't told her community or her family yet. And it was it was very soon. Her surgery was very soon. And I said, um, and so she was really upset. And I said, all oh, I'm gonna, uh, let me start with this. I said there is a light at the end of the tunnel. I promise. I said, you are going to get through this and you're going to be great. And I told her everything I could possibly tell her soup to nuts about everything I experienced and went through. And um, she was unbelievably grateful and lovely. And I went to visit her in the hospital. I had never met her. She came in. She lives in Pennsylvania. And I went to see her the morning after her surgery. Mm-hmm. And I brought her a goodie bag. <laughs> and I met her husband. And she was still a little like loopy from the anesthesia. Um I lifted up my shirt for her. I let her feel my breasts and mm-hmm. um so that she would know I wanted her to like know that right. you know this is, gonna work. this is where you are now but this is where you're going to be and it's all going to be good. Yeah. And we have to this day the most beautiful friendship and love I mean she got she I wrote an essay about it actually uh, not long ago because she always called me her lifeline. She used to text me and she said, Lainey, my lifeline. And that's what she used to call me to other people because I kind of, I guess, helped her through it. I was the only other person who knew what she was going through so she would text me and ask me questions and we'd be on the phone and i always and my my way and my personality is always to try to see the glass half full and be positive and you know smile through it i smiled through my whole surgery and laughed through it and had a sense of humor for myself for everybody else and i tried to do that for her too and i always said it's going to be okay and she had a couple of difficult things like she had a couple of issues with healing and had to go back and she's still having some things that she has to get fixed and it's just how it goes sometimes things take and sometimes they don't you know there's no guarantees this is literally rebuilding your body the weirdest part of this surgery is that my back muscles are now in my chest so think about that for a minute if i try to do a lat pull it ain't happening. My boobs are going to be, <laughs> you know. Oh, so, interesting. Yeah. So
1: they're still reacting. They haven't sort of adjusted internally. and
0: I, I don't know if they ever do fully. They'll always, I don't know. I mean, I have a friend. Um, it, interestingly enough, the friend who I went out to lunch with that day came to my house. I called her and I told her that I had breast cancer and that I was having the same procedure that she had done.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: She said, I'm going to come over. And I'm going to show you what it looks like, and you can feel it and see. She only had one side done. They didn't do both. Right. And she did. She came in, and she stripped in my living room, and she showed me how her breast moves because there is this weird phenomenon that because it's a back muscle that's in the front, it will still react like a back muscle. So if I if I flex my muscle in a certain way, I can make my breast move. So it's, people think it's funny. It's like a party trick, but I I don't love it. I was really, really hung up on that and worried about that. And like, I went to physical therapy, like I did all these things to try to avoid that from happening. But in the end, it's just part of how it is. There's nothing I can do about it. Right. I don't like walk around flexing it all the time, but like, I can't do certain things at the gym and, and it it upsets me a little bit, you know, when I'm trying to work out and I'm trying to do, and I I can't do that, you know, and it's not that I can't do it. I don't like the feeling. Right. And I was watching, my daughter was doing, uh, sent me a video of doing, she was training, and she sent me a video of doing pull-ups because she'd been working on doing pull-ups. And she, her, it was gorgeous. And I got so jealous. Uh, but I want to be able to do that. But I, if, for me to do that is going to engage the muscle that I don't want to engage, and it's going to make me feel uncomfortable, and I don't want to feel uncomfortable. Yeah, so. I
1: get it. If it makes you feel better, I can't even do a pull-up. So... <laughs> I'm there with you (laughs) thank you I appreciate
0: it I appreciate it I feel really proud a lot of the time proud that I got through it and how I look and how I feel and how I handled it I'm fearful a lot I try not to think about this too much because it's scary (laughs) Um, if I got cancer once am I going to get it again that's really scary. And every now and then that thought pops in. I'm like, what am I going to do? I have kids. Like there was the reason that there was no question about the mastectomy was because I have young kids. Well, first of all, it was on both sides. If had it been on one side, I often wonder would I have done that? Would I have just opted for a lumpectomy, and you know, done the radiation? Because uh, mine was so. What I failed to say was. It was so small. Both of the tumors were almost mirror images of each other, which is another weird. When I met with a genetic specialist, she's like, it's really kind of odd. It's not completely out of the ordinary for people to have it bilaterally, but the way mine were, almost mirror images. One was aggressive, one wasn't, which is why I'm still on medication now, because one was aggressive. But they were so small that when they sent them out for, they do something called oncotyping, they send them out for to find out like what stage they are. I don't know. They they put them to a lab and they investigate. Um, she goes, they're probably not even going to do it, but we're going to send them out anyway because they were so, it was so early. I don't even know if it was stage one. Um, so that was really lucky, but I was diligent. I mean, I got checked regularly, yeah. but it's clearly this grew so fast. And, you know, one of the things that I've said this multiple times that if I hadn't had reduction surgery, where would I have been when we found this?
1: Laney credits her doctor so much for the early detection of the tumors and the swift handling of it all that she dedicated a film she made loosely based on her story to him.
0: Over that time when I was sitting in the chair recovering, um, I was just thinking creatively. I think it's just what we do, right? Yeah, as people in this business, you just sort of process things through the creative outlet. Mm-hmm. and I was thinking about acting and, you know, doing a movie or whatever. I don't know. I had this idea for a film. I think because I was so connected with my husband at this, especially at this time because he he took such amazing care of me. That's great. Being so connected, reconnected to my husband again, I was sort of thinking about that relationship. And I was spent a lot of time in my room, and my room has an ensuite bathroom. And, you know, sometimes ideas just fall in your head. Like, I, I don't know how it came about, mm-hmm. honestly. But I just had this idea for a film where there were moments. And in, the, in that time, I was calling it moments. And it was like, all, all took place in the bathroom. And it was... The couple having all of these moments together in the bathroom, mm-hmm. good, bad, romantic, you know, a fight or just getting ready together or, you know, just any kind of private, happy or sad moment or them fooling around in there, hiding from the kids, Right. all those different moments. And I wanted to just sort of show a relationship and show a marriage of all these things that happen in their private space.
1: Lainey began discussing it with her producers and working on the script with her creative partner. The movie changed a bit as the creative process went on, but ultimately led to a beautifully done film that I also had the pleasure of sound designing and mixing. The film, ensuite has been doing really well at film festivals around the country and the world.
0: It changed a lot because it wasn't about breast cancer at the time. I had this really strong... Thing inside me. I do. I did not want to be a poster child for breast cancer. Right. And when I was diagnosed and people started to learn in my community, I was getting, I got a couple of calls. Oh, you know, do you want to be on the board for this? Or we're doing this Relay for Life. And I had to do Relay for Life for Remy. And it was an awful experience for me because it was too soon. And yeah. there's too much focus on, I love the spotlight on me, but not in, in that way. You weren't ready. I yeah. wasn't ready. So, I really didn't want this movie to be about breast cancer. That said, we both agreed writing it that there should be just one in one of those moments where he says something to her and we know that, oh, she had breast cancer. And I think the line was, and it's still, it, it remained in the current movie, the line was, um, fuck cancer, I love your new tits. Right. My husband might have actually said that. I don't remember. There are a few things that he actually said that are in the movie. Um, so it wasn't, a, it wasn't an autobiography or anything like that. It was just sort of inspired by uh, my life with my husband. Um, and then as we, as we started to move forward in the creative process with the film and we brought on our director, he said, look, you have a story to tell. He said, and while it doesn't have to be your story, it's your story. Yeah. Tell your story, you know? So we spent a lot of time revamping and working on it. And he's like, I really think, he goes, this could be, he goes, right now it's a great, cute little comedy, you know, sweet film. He goes, this could be something amazing. This could really be like like a really meaningful piece of art. And I, I've already done cute little funny things. And I was really seduced by that. And I said, okay, I'm in. I'm in. So we worked on it. And it was a little uncomfortable at first because I didn't want it to be about breast cancer. Um, The film is completely about breast cancer.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, 100% start to
0: finish. It is 100% start to finish about breast cancer.
1: As you'll see over and over again in this series, people can channel their energy in pretty amazing ways in the face of adversity. For Lainey, it was her film and taking up writing again. There are also downsides, fear, worry, anxiety, and something we've heard about before on the podcast, survivor's guilt.
0: What I haven't talked about is um, survivor guilt, which is uh, not necessarily something I thought about in the very beginning. I went to see, there's a, you know, when you're an oncology patient, you get certain freebies, (laughs) Right. one of them is um, you get to go see the social worker for free (laughs) um, at the cancer center. And she and I have become wonderful friends. And I I actually just saw her a couple of weeks ago. I'm finally at a point now where I feel like I don't need to go. And when we were at a point where we were getting ready to say goodbye, I started to cry. I, I wasn't ready to go. And I clearly hadn't worked through everything yet, even though you think you do. Because what I realized was so many things for me come back to cancer. And it's such a part of my life now. And it's such a part of who I am. Not that I walk around spewing it, but it's just me. It's just part of me now. And how I feel about myself physically, how I, you know, I I didn't feel sexy for a really long time. And then after I had my reduction, I started to feel better again, right. And then after, interestingly enough, once I had my reconstruction and I had this new, these new breasts that were different than mine. Mm-hmm. I mean, mine were really nice, but I never had implants, you right. know. Now I had these beautiful, very real-looking, but beautiful, stand-up, you know,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I started to feel really sexy again which was a really nice um, result. Um, so there, I also try to look at the positives of what came out of this, you know, that's and that was definitely one of them. But on the other side, I would sometimes feel like when I would hear about someone, like I was working over the summer and a girl I worked with said, you know, she had the ribbon on her, the pink ribbon tattooed mm-hmm. on her ankle. I said, oh, I see you have the breast cancer ribbon. She said, yeah, I lost my mom to breast cancer. Her mom, who wasn't probably very much older than me. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And it kind of stabbed me in the heart a little bit. And I think, you know, you think, why did I, why did I make it? You know, why, why did somebody else lose their mother? Um, Why was I so lucky? And, any number of reasons come come into play for that it could be because i had mammograms every you know year because i uh, had a breast reduction and the doctor found it I, I don't know i don't know um you know i'm not a religious person so i don't say things like oh because god wanted me on earth right. because that doesn't resonate with me at all right um I, I thank the universe upside down and backwards that I'm here still to raise my kids. But I do feel, I didn't initially, and I remember my therapist saying, you know, we, something came up about that. And she goes, oh, are you feeling survivor guilt? And I said, not really. And then all of a sudden, later on down the road, I thought, I, I do a little. And I have a friend whose sister-in-law had the same procedure that I had. I think right before I did, actually. And she didn't have a good experience. She had a lot of pain. I don't know if her surgery, it could have been her. Like, it also depends on your health, you know. How you come through a surgery really depends a lot on how you are as healthy. Um, And I don't know if hers was her own health or if she didn't have a great surgeon. But I know she had a lot of pain. And I didn't have any of those bad effects. I was really lucky. Um, And I've come to find out about a week ago that she has it again. Now, she doesn't have any breast tissue. But the bre- the tissue from her back that is now in her front, there was some thing she felt in there, scar tissue or something, and they tested it, and there is cancer in that tissue. And that was like, ugh, like choked me, you know, like, holy shit, because there is like, maybe a 5%, I don't even know if it's a 5% chance that I could get breast cancer again. And that's, you know, my, my gynecologist is like, why are you on medication if you don't have any breast tissue? And because one of my tumors was aggressive, they say that is still a risk. I still have my skin. I don't have the breast tissue, but there's still skin there. So, you know, you hear these things and and even, I don't know, There's there's definitely a certain amount of that That exists. So when I hear uh, several people will say to me, I've gotten a few of these actually, where people say, oh, a friend of mine was just diagnosed with breast cancer. Can I give her your number? Absolutely. And I never hear from them. I will happily, I will give 100%. I will show you what I I will go through everything I know and tell you everything I've been through. And I will be 100% honest, the good, the bad, the ugly. I can't, I, I can't be so naive to think that everybody's going to have the same experience that I did. And for all things considered, I had a really good experience. You know, as awful as it was, it was all good. I didn't have setbacks. I didn't have complications. And when I hear about someone who's, oh, well, you know, she was diagnosed and it's stage three and she's got to have, you know, this, this procedure and then she's having chemo. Well, I didn't have any of that. So I can't speak to that. And I don't know if I want to because I don't know... Who am I? You know, someone's gonna look at me and say, What the hell do you know? You're not gonna, you don't, you didn't have chemo, you didn't lose your hair, you weren't vomiting all the time, you know? So that kind of makes my heart hurt a little bit. And I feel a little bad about that, you know, because why do some people, and listen, who, I mean, I don't wanna say this because you don't wanna put this out into the universe, but I don't know what's waiting for me down the line. You know, and we don't, none of us know. So the only thing I can say is this was my experience and I'm okay. And I will happily talk to you about what it's like to have had cancer. There are times though, that I almost have to say, did I really have, like, did this really happen? Why did, did he really, did, did I, were they just messing with me? Because I never felt it. I never saw it. I never, I didn't have treatments you know, so it kind of. I, I remember saying to a woman I know who's another woman, she works in oncology, she's a, a social worker, and I said something to her in the effect of, I don't know if I said something, I don't really feel like I had cancer. I don't really know if I could really, it's not the same because I didn't really go through. And she looked at me and she said, Laney, you are a cancer survivor, you had cancer. Life is good now. I mean, everything is good and I'm, I'm healthy and I go to my doctor, I mean, I get checked all the time and, and that's I think the most important thing and that's what I tell everybody. And I tell all my friends, hopefully you'll never find a lump. Hopefully your mammograms will always come out clean. But if they don't, I will take you by the hand. I will take you to my team and I will walk you through it and I will be there every step of the way for you because it's just what I feel I need to do. I see the world a little bit differently now. I will never forget these acts of kindness. I will spend the rest of my life finding ways to give back, um, primarily to my surgeon, because he he just saved my life. I mean, there's no question.
1: I can't thank Lainey enough for the extremely open and candid discussion of her journey. From the way she found out there was an issue to the way her surgeon started the process by showing her the finish line first, a positive outcome, and then working back from there. And seeing people at their very best once again as the community rallies around one of their own to pitch in and help out. This is such a great story of positive energy, hope, and support. I hope you were able to take as much away from it as I have. And if you have a chance to catch her short film en suite, somewhere, please do. Thanks as always for listening. If you're enjoying these stories, please support the podcast by rating and reviewing it on Apple Podcasts. And help spread the word. This remains a passion project for me and I really hope people are enjoying the work. And if you want to interact or be more involved with the show, please be sure to follow the Facebook page Everyday Odyssey's Podcast. You can also follow Everyday Odysseys on Clubhouse, where we'll meet and discuss episodes often with the guests. So please check that out as well. I'll talk to you soon.
0: This has been Everyday Odysseys, a limited series produced by Frank Verderosa. If you have a story to share or know someone that does, please reach out by emailing everydayodysseys at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Coming up on Everyday Odysseys. I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis in 2005 while I was on active duty. And it's progressive. So, when I was diagnosed, I was still walking and running and doing all of that stuff. And eventually, I started using a cane and then a walker and then a scooter. And then I became a full time wheelchair user, I'm going to say in 2014. So, yeah, seven years ago, I guess. It sounds weird to say that I consider myself fortunate as a wheelchair user that I have the the faculties that I do because there are uh, other situations where I could be uh, considerably more, I don't know, disabled, I guess you could say, or have considerably more physical limitations.